Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your championship finals information, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all of your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, hockey, MLB, UFC, boxing, and the best sport on the planet, soccer. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your home. Get into the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to get our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the It's Called Soccer podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about everything happening in American soccer. My name is Jake Landau. I'm joined as always by Thomas Godden, Tom how are you feeling after a night out on the town last night? Feeling really good. I'm uh, ready to talk some U.S. soccer. Uh, glad to, you know, get a chance to blow off a little steam. Uh, but I still got a chance to watch the Gold Cup game last night. And yeah, ready to break everything down. Nice. Anything exciting in the astronomical world? Not right now. Um, pretty boring summer so far. A couple explosions have gone off, but nothing like super noteworthy. So Nice. What about astrology? Is Venus in retrograde? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We talked about, um, uh, there have been some jokes about our department being an astrology department recently, so we were talking about maybe like creating some horoscopes, but not normally, normally something I know much about. <laughs> True. Well, maybe you'll you'll learn more in your doctorate program at Penn State. <laughs> All right. So today we have to talk about the Gold Cup 1-1 draw against Jamaica and how this team differs from the Nations League winning team that uh, just struck gold against Mexico and Canada. Obviously, Greg Berhalter has been rehired as a U.S. Men's National Team coach, although he's not coaching them in this Gold Cup. So we will talk about that appointment. Uh, what went wrong? Maybe what went right with the U.S. Soccer Federation, their communication. And I, I want to get into their relationship with their fans because it seems like some of their social media communications almost taunt their own fan base. And that seems like a very weird strategy to me. Um, But we will get into the merits of Greg being rehired. And then the U.S. Women's National Team roster has been released. We are about 40 days out, uh, no, 30 days out now from the World Cup in New Zealand and Australia. That will start on July 20th. There are some big surprises that made the roster. It's a very young roster. There are some big names that didn't make the roster that have been with the U.S. for a long time that are scoring and assisting in NWSL. So we will take you through all of that and get you ready for the U.S. Women's National Team going to the World Cup. What else happened, Tom? I feel like it, it's been two weeks of a powder keg, but those are going to yeah. be the main things. Yeah, I mean, the Nations League also happened. Uh, we taught, we did a preview. We never got a chance to um, uh, um, break the results down, but that was an exciting thing. We got a trophy out of it. Um 
a lot of uh, spirited conca caffing happening. Um, but yeah, it's been a very crazy two weeks in the U.S. soccer world. Um, my head's kind of spinning after everything. I'm not really sure where to put everything in my in my head right now. So in order to talk about that 1-1 draw with Jamaica, maybe then we start with the Nations League performances because what we saw last night from the Gold Cup team is a very different team on technical ability, on skill set, on where they play in the world and their club teams. And I think you saw the chasm between each of those squads because we've, we watched our best 11, everyone except for Tyler Adams essentially healthy and playing together for one of the first times Balligan has committed to the U.S. He played in both of those matches, started in both of those matches against Mexico and Canada. Uh, The 3-0 victory over Mexico and the 2-0 victory over Canada were some of the best performances that we had seen from the U.S. men's national team. Built some excitement towards this Gold Cup, and we didn't necessarily see that same uh, intensity and that same skill set from the U.S. national team last night. So, Tom, where are you at? What, What were you thinking going from the Nations League and the high that you were on there and then the expectations for the gold cup and this Jamaica team. Also, we have to talk about their front three, all of them play in the premier league. All of them have been scoring. Maybe you can argue that uh, Leon Bailey at Aston Villa hasn't been his best, but he's still a quality player for CONCACAF. So where, where are we at in the U S sphere? I, I just have a hard time getting super excited about this roster. It's it's a it's, There's some quality names on it. You've got players who are in contention for MLS Golden Boot on this roster. You've got some attacking names out of a Liga Emeki who can play pretty well. But, you know, when you look at the, the 11 that we put out against uh, Canada in Nations League, or against Mexico in Nations League, and how young and hungry and, you know, talented that squad was, and then you drop down to what we have at the Gold Cup, it's just a very different squad with very different... Uh, a very different level of play, a very different uh, style about them. And it just, it's hard to sort of get really excited about this this group. We don't even really see the big U20s because they didn't really get released from their MLS clubs. So, yeah, I, I just, it's hard to sort of get excited or expect too much out of this group just because of the sort of intermediate, you know, not quite first teamers, not quite prospects group that we've called up. And it seems like the the quality that we saw at the Nations League is almost pushing that, perspective as well just knowing how good it can be when everyone all of our best 11 is playing together and then you drop down to this level where you're right i mean Jalen neal is one of the u20s that didn't go to the u20 world cup because he was expecting to play with the the gold cup team and wasn't released by his club at la galaxy we have someone like john tolkien who's an exciting young prospect uh, maybe an aiden morse you can throw in there but he didn't really perform at the level that we have seen him perform for the Columbus crew this season. And then you think about the front three going from Christian Pulisic, the number 10 at Chelsea, Balogun, 21 goals in league uh, this season, and Timothy Weah, one of our most dangerous players. He's about to go to Juve for 15 million. And you put that right next to Jordan Morris, Jesus Ferreira, and Ali Zendejas, who are good in their own right, but at a very different level. I think you're right. It's hard to get excited when we, especially when we've just seen what it can be for the U.S. when everyone's playing. Yeah, it can be phenomenal. And this crew, like I, I actually like watching Jesus Ferrer play. I like watching Zendejas play. They're kind of fun to watch. Zendejas didn't have a good game last night, and Ferrer looked actually pretty good. But what they can do with the ball and the, just the speed with which they play, the 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 m- execution of moments around the final third is just not there when you compare to the other players, which is, you know, just 
a sign of how far the U.S. has come in our player development uh, with that first team squad. But it's kind of frustrating that the Gold Cup, which is our continental championship, has relegated itself to this place where you know the U.S. is hardly sending any of their best players and Canada's not sending their best players and it just doesn't seem like the powers in the region are taking it seriously. Yeah, I mean, really the only teams that have brought their A-teams that are threats to U.S. or Canada are Mexico because... Well, they're under a lot of pressure to get results right now. I think that has to be kind of put on the docket of why they're bringing their best. And then you, we just saw Jamaica, who I think are a dark horse within this Gold Cup because of that attacking line. Mikel Antonio at West Ham, again, Leon Bailey at Aston Villa. Now we have Damari Gray, who's committed from Everton. If you can get Ethan Pinnock uh, back, he's back home with his wife um, due to him having a baby or his wife having a baby and then Andre Blake, the best keeper in, in MLS. That's a good squad. That's a squad that can compete for the gold at, at this gold cup. Um, is can we take any positives from our B minus C team drawing against a Jamaica team that is really trying to win something here? I think that you can take a lot of positives from how stout defensively we looked, uh, you know, take out the goal, take out the really horrible, uh, penalty that we conceded. Jamaica didn't create a lot of danger. Matt, Matt Turner maybe had one really big save he had to make. Um, we basically locked up their front three, which is, you know, a testament to how defensively sound we were. Uh, going forward, I would like to create more, but yeah, I think that our defensive work rate and our defensive shape and our this ability to keep Jamaica from looking dangerous is a huge positive to take away from this game. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk quickly about Aaron Long. Because he is obviously a, a big ticket item in, in the conversation for USMNT fans. And for me, again, I think criticizing players, criticizing coaching decisions, all of that is absolutely fair game. Uh, do it in a way that's progressing the conversation, doing it in a way that's civil. And taking all of that into account, like Aaron Long doesn't deserve to be on this team. Uh, he's not in my top like 10 center back depth chart for the U.S. men's national team. There, We could have had John Brooks in this position. We could have had so many other players that probably deserved it. And like even for someone like Jordan Morris or Christian Rodan, you can make the case that they have been performing and producing for their club teams in MLS. Aaron Long has not been one of the best U.S. players that are eligible in MLS and for a really good team in LAFC. Uh, I feel like last night, he was having a lot of trouble with the speed of the game. Maybe not so much the physicality, but just his passing was off. His his thought process was off. And I think a lot of people, because he's Aaron Long and what he means to the community, he's going to be blamed for the goal. But in my mind, it looked like Matt Miazga broke the offside trap there. And Jamaica too. Like I want to say, the reason why you have those dummy runs, the reason why you have two players standing over the ball is exactly what we saw happen. Matt Miazga kind of got baited into that initial run, dropped the line back towards the goal, and that dropped the offside trap, which allowed Jamaica to score that goal. Um, I think, especially thinking about Aaron Long getting injured at halftime or being taken off for Jalen Neal and seeing how good Jalen Neal looked and how good it made Matt Miazga look in that second half, none of that is going to bode well for Aaron Long going forward. Was this his last... Like, was this his last hurrah? It, 
I know this wasn't a game of consequence, but really, like, you can't make an objective argument, I feel like, for Aaron Long to be on the field. We have asked this question at least four times over the last year, and we just seem to keep seeing him for some bizarre reason. I don't really quite understand it. And I sort of, you know, agree with your point here about, you know, criticizing players. There's a way to do it in a way that doesn't, uh, um, go too far. And we've talked before about players on this podcast, like Sebastian Legette, who we felt were just past it and not really able to keep up in the USMNT setup anymore. And I feel like it's time to have that conversation about Aaron Long, that he's just past it and not able to compete at the national team level anymore, which is, you know, it happens. That's he just never really recovered from that ACL injury. Uh, or I guess it was an Achilles injury. Achilles. But, yeah. Um, it's time to look at younger options who are performing at least at MLS best 11 level. Mass Miazga is one of the best center backs in MLS this year. Jalen Neal is basically the only bright spot in LA Galaxy's entire season right now. Miles Robinson is the only thing keeping Atlanta from being a wooden spoon contender right now. Um, those are basically the top center backs you have in your pool out of MLS. Aaron Long is a rotational option for LAFC who struggled in those last few weeks. And it just doesn't seem like even on his MLS form, they really deserve the occlusion along with those other names that we're talking about. For sure. And then moving into the midfield, we had Aiden Morris from Columbus crew. We had him next to James Sands as kind of a double pivot, more defensive midfielders and Alan Senora trying to play that creative midfielder. It really didn't work. I feel like we were trying to use those two pivot players as a way to help defend that back line against the attack. Um, but because the defense was so unstable, it just made it really difficult for us to progress any passes from the midfield. That alone made it difficult in turn for Jesus Ferreira to drop in and, and get the ball. Um, but I thought the substitutes from BJ came quickly, decisively. The substitutes made a difference. Um, I think especially about Mihailovic, about Cade Cowell looked really good. Um, pair that, I know we're about to talk about Greg Berhalter after this, one of the knocks against Greg is always that his in-game management is indecisive, that he waits too long to make substitutes. And when he does, maybe those are the wrong players that he's picking to come onto the pitch. Um, what did you see from our substitutes? And for me, I feel like if Greg is going to be the coach and like at this point, Greg is going to be the coach, we have to live with that. Can BJ gain some confidence here to help facilitate like a an improvement in that from Greg? So I guess first question, what did you see from the substitutes from BJ? And do you feel like this bodes well to just the influence that the assistants are going to have on Greg? I hope it bodes well for the influence we're going to have on uh, influence that our assistants are going to have on Burhalter's style. Because yeah, we, it seems like we always wait till like the 70th minute under Burhalter to make a sub. And usually the subs are more defensive or we're putting on a right back when we're chasing a goal or something weird like that. Um, which is not what we did last night. We were pulling putting on attacking options as early as the 55th minute. Cade Cowell did Cade Cowell things. Sometimes the Cade Cowell things are really good. Sometimes Cade Cowell things are not so good. Brandon Vasquez. They were mostly good last night, though. <laughs> he did dribble yeah. out of bounds a few times, but like 65% of the time, positive. I saw someone on uh, one of the discords that I'm on for US Soccer say that watching Cade Cowell is like rolling a dice, and if you roll a six, then something amazing happens. If you roll a one or two, <laughs> something baffling happens, and the rest of the time you just get something okay, um, which is a pretty good description of what Cade Cowell can do. But 
when you get that six, you get some amazing stuff out of him. Uh, he's a perfect sub for a gold cup like this. Um, Brandon Vasquez, of course, gets the goal. Um, a very Faller and Balligan style fox in the box goal where he just sort of is in the right spot at the right time to hammer one home and is very decisive about it. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's some really great things to take away from those substitute performances. I always love seeing Georgie Mihailovic get a call for the U.S. I just love his game and how he plays, and so I always want to see him get more minutes. I just I think that he can still contribute at a high level for this squad. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the players that came on as substitutes, not only were they a bit more vicious and intense in the play style, but they were just, again, thinking at a higher speed throughout the game and the connection between Mihailovic and Cade Cowell on that left side around the 70th minute, Cade Cowell had a nice like interchange on the left side with a few different players. Jesus Ferreira finds him at the byline. He gets a cross into uh, a low cross to Christian Roldan, who like Andre Blake makes some insane saves in this matches, including the the one-on-one with Jordan Morris at the end of that first half. Jordan Morris absolutely. Yes. Should have put it in through. Um, but when you're one-on-one with again, like Andre Blake could easily have gone to Europe five years ago and been a top oh, yeah. keeper. Uh, yeah. I don't really know the story behind him staying at Philadelphia Union, but I mean, he's he made two incredible saves putting on a clinic against the U.S. And Brandon Vasquez, like his shot just gave him no chance, which yeah. was great. Uh, you mentioned like sometimes with Greg, we'll put on a right back for a midfielder when we're chasing the game. The last substitute that B.J. Callahan made last night was taking off John Tolkien, our left back, for Brandon Vasquez and leaving Jesus Ferreira on to play like almost a, a striker slash right wing role. And that's what actually made the goal happen. Jesus Ferreira dribbled the guy at the corner of the box, got the, the cross in and it landed at the feet of Brandon Vasquez. So with all of that being said, I think we can all be okay with a point. It's not the end of the world, but yeah, there's going to be a huge drop off from seeing our best 11 who are genuinely our best 11 that we've ever had to now a majority of the team, either being MLS players or almost their entire career or adding to like some 20 year olds that will be going to Europe, but still need a lot to get to that potential. Um, So Tom, both teams at one point in the group, I think it's going to be a shootout to get whoever gets that goal differential is going to move in uh, to that easier um, knockout round. So what are you expecting now that you've seen the team we have some easier games in this group stage. What are you going to see? Run it up. That's that's what I want to see going forward. I want to see every single game. These next two games just run up the score. I don't know how we can do that. You know, last Gold Cup, we struggled to score more than a single goal against anyone who has actually a FIFA member nation. So let's uh, not have that happen again this time. Let's pour three, four, five in on Trinidad and on St. Kitts and Nevis here to try and make sure that we get that easier knockout spot and avoid Canada in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And given what you saw from the game, are there is there one player that absolutely has to start based on their performance? I feel like Georgie Mihailovic is that person for me. I Like I said, I just love the way he plays. I think his reading of space, his ability to break down a low block is, is almost unparalleled in our pool. He just pops up in the right spot to make something happen almost every time he shows up on the field. So... I feel like we got to start him and see what he can do with a full game uh, going forward. And aside from Aaron Long, was there one player that should be benched based on that performance? Uh, maybe, maybe put Morris on the bench, but I, we don't really have a good replacement for Which him. Which one? Uh, Aiden. <laughs> 
<laughs> Although it would be fine with Jordan Sands. too. Yeah. Yeah, you could you could play James Sands's single pivot. Um, yeah. Kind of kind of how we did in Nations yeah. League, where you play like a Yunus Musa as a Ooh. six, and then have two a little bit more creative players playing as the eights. How would you feel about Alan Senora? Speaking of eights, I thought he was kind of like the the opposite spectrum of Kate Cal. It was like. If, uh, you need a 20-sided dice, and you need to roll a 19 or a 20. Um, but it, it just wasn't good enough. And like what I wouldn't have expected from what I've seen, and, and maybe it's like the level around him, because when he's played with the the best players, when he's played with the, the senior team before, I feel like I've seen so much more out of him. Um, I just felt like he had some okay moments, but the speed of the game from almost every single starter not named James Sands or Matt Turner was was like not good enough last night. Yeah, I, I'm baffled by Senora because at some level, you know, in the the Camp Cachico game where we uh, played Mexico, he had some really good moments. Um, but he's been in every camp this year. He's the only player to be called up to every single camp this year. He has sub 200 minutes for the national team total in his career, yeah. despite being at every but, single camp this year. So I, I like even last night, I wasn't really sure what to make of him. He had some okay moments and then a lot of moments where it just wasn't up to snuff. And I just, I, I don't really understand him as a player. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was like, you're, you're asking him to play within the space of a creative player, but the way that he was playing was very cautious. Um, mm. I think the one bright moment was that that one that Jesus Ferreira slipped into Jordan Morris at the end of that first half. That mm. started because of a progressive pass from Alan Senora that got mm. the ball into Jesus Ferreira, who was dropping in. But aside from that, like I can't really think of a lot of positive moments throughout the match. Yeah, I'm kind of that's sort of all I can come up with too. So I would be fine letting him see the bench for a while. But again, our midfield in this tournament is so thin that it's just hard to come up with a midfield I like out of this yeah. group. Yeah. I mean, this is a team. Uh, I want to transition us to talk about Greg Berhalter because they are still being coached by an interim manager um, instead of the coach that they have hired and signed a contract with, Greg Berhalter. It's not like Greg needs to renew uh, or like build any new relationships or learn the player pool. He, he's been the coach for three years past. So what, what have you made of this rehire from Greg Berhalter? Why isn't he coaching the Gold Cup? And maybe just talk a little bit about what you've seen from U.S. soccer and kind of the process to get Berhalter back. I, I'm i kind of frustrated by this whole thing. You know, not so much because we hired Greg Berhalter, because I've, you know, I've made it pretty vocal that I don't really mind having Berhalter back. I think he's a fine coach, and I don't really think our other options were much better, um, if better at all. So... You know, I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with taking eight months to hire the same guy who we let the contract expire at the end of last year. It feels like we just wasted eight months for absolutely no reason. And I have no idea why he's not coaching this Gold Cup. I have no idea why it took so long to make this hire when it just sort of seems like we could have made this hire back in like March when his investigation ended and we would have been fine to go forward and just let Berhalter coach the summer tournaments. I don't understand why we're wasting the whole summer when we don't have, we already have a short cycle until the world cup starts because of the uh, winter world cup. So sort of feel like it feels like the Taylor 12 and what are we doing clip is very <laughs> appropriate right here for this the whole summer. I don't, I don't quite understand what us soccer is doing. Um, 
I understand why Matt Crocker would want to hire Greg Berhalter. It sort of seems like he and Berhalter speak the exact same language. And some of the stuff they said about the interview process and like 10 hour long interview days and like psychoanalysis testing is like right up Berhalter's alley. So yeah, it makes total sense that they would hire Berhalter after all of that. But I don't want to understand why it took so long if we're going to go back to the guy we already had. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the process of the psychoanalysis, the, the interview process. Um, Greg Berhalter, so as part of this, Matt Crocker or the U.S. Soccer Federation right after the, the hire was announced. Also, by the way, I want to mention the hire was announced during the Mexico-USA game. <laughs> like they were, I don't know if they were trying to bury the news or that people wouldn't care about it, but that happened. Um, I think it was Jesse Soccer- Marsh's fault. Because Jesse Marsh's agent, an hour before the game, tweets that Jesse Marsh is not going to be the new U.S. manager. And all of a sudden, all the journalists are like, oh, well, we know who the manager is going to be now. So let's just drop yeah, it like, and kick off. Who cares? You know, <laughs> if a journalist says, I, I'm hearing that Greg Berhalter is going to be rehired, but U.S. soccer doesn't confirm it until after the Gold Cup, who cares? Like, that's fine. You know, they no- didn't confirm it till the next day, to be fair. Yeah. OK, fair. Um <laughs> But yeah, so after that, the next day, they do a press conference. U.S. Soccer releases a uh, a three-slide thing that talks about what they were looking for and what what kind of coach was going to be the coach that would fit what their their process was doing. And the slide essentially like described Greg Berhalter. You know, <laughs> if you if you build a process around someone's ability and like emotional capacity and who they are, then of course they're going to be your number one candidate when they go through the interview process. But you mentioned Jesse Marsh. Uh, We know that Patrick Fierro was contacted and potentially interested. Thierry Henry had been on the record saying he was interested. Like (laughs) what, what happened with the process? Do you just think that Greg Berhalter matched what they were looking for? They speak the same language and continuity is important to this i don't know it's it's hard to know um i mean you know it's been pointed out before that uh when you're looking at patrick marsh or patrick fiera jesse marsh and Thierry Henry, you're looking at guys who have either got a very weird system in marsh that might not translate to the international level and someone who might not be uh um ta- able to adjust his game plan to the national team level you've got players like people like Vieira who struggled in uh MLS or Henri, who downright was one of the worst coaches in MLS history by record. Um, you're just not looking at guys who are going to be much better than Burhalter in the end. So I think you go with the guy who the team is familiar with, who the team seems to really like and have a good relationship with instead of just the new guy who might or might not be an improvement, but also might ruin the locker room vibes, I guess. I, I think yeah. that's sort of my calculation on it all. Right? Do you do you think that Vieira or Henri would have been a big upgrade from Burhalter? I think the only person in that group that you can kind of make a case around is Patrick Vieira. So, yeah, that's sort of his success at NYCFC, his success in France. He had success at Crystal Palace before things kind of went to shit on him and <laughs> And he got fired, but it's it's really hard, I think, to make a case that any of them are over and above what you need them to be for Greg Berhalter 
And what he provides in continuity, what he provides with the environment that he's built with this team, like people are, people are talking shit about Christian Pulisic for saying that he thinks he doesn't understand the hate that Greg Berhalter gets. And when pushed on it by Hercules Gomez in an interview with ESPN, Christian Pulisic was like, it's not that I'm adamant that I want Greg Berhalter back. I just don't understand why you can't give the guy credit (laughs) for what he's done for the program. Um, And then you see comments in like under that video or under that conversation about Christian Pulisic being, you know, not knowing what he's talking about, but guys, we've also heard Timothy Weah, Ricardo Pepe, even uh, Chris Richards has talked about this being the right decision to bring Burrow Halter back. And like I've said this before, all of these players are media trained to say as little as possible, okay? <laughs> they don't have to say anything positive about Greg Berhalter, but the fact that they do choose to do so, like to me, does mean something. To <laughs> These players have watched the process happen at ground level. They have been in the locker room, they have been in trainings, they have played in these matches, they have prepared for games with Greg Berhalter and his staff. We have not, no matter how much you want to believe you know more than Christian Pulisic or Timothy Way or Ricardo Pepe. These players know way more than you and me about Greg Berhalter as the USMNT coach. So it's not like that's the end all be all and that's going to end the conversation. But like, at least to me, that does mean something. I'm going to put stock in that, that, okay, I, Greg Berhalter was not the person that I wanted to lead this program, mostly because I don't believe in having a coach come back after a four-year cycle. I think that the U.S. men's national team could have been a little bit more... um, They they could have made a decision and a hire that showed a little bit more confidence that they would be at the top of some of these teams in the World Cup. They They could have shown... like. I think to me, Greg Berhalter's hire is boring and doesn't really show initiative on the part of U.S. soccer. But again, without knowing the hiring pool and like who is actually interested, who is realistic, it does make sense to bring Greg Berhalter back. Yeah, I mean, I might not like could, it, but I understand. Yeah. It. If we're not going to go out and get Zinedine Zidane or um, Jose Mourinho or someone like that, who's clearly one of the best coaches in the world, I mean, I have my doubts that Mourinho would be a good international coach, particularly for this group. But still, if there are names out there that are among the best coaches in the world, if you could get one of them, yeah, it makes sense. Go for them. If you get love, you're in love to come interview for the job, you give it to him. But I just don't feel like that's the pool of candidates who we were looking at. And among the pool of candidates we were looking at, there's just no really exciting options as far as I can tell, yeah. like I'm, I'm a huge one cycle manager. Every single person, every single time we have gone for a second cycle for a U.S. men's national team manager, it has fallen apart. So I yeah. worry about this hire. But at the same time, Berhalter is a very young manager. I don't think he's going to make the same mistakes that Klinsman made of not rotating the squad enough. Um, it would be wild because you know we don't actually need to rotate the squad that much. Like, <laughs> um. We just add a change a couple, like a couple backups, and bam, the squad basically picks itself. So um, I don't think we have the Klinsman problem. It'll just be interesting to see how he grows and evolves as a young manager to see if we can't 
you know, learn from the last cycle and grow as a team, or if we're going to stagnate and make the same mistakes we made for the last three years. The the only thing I want to add, and I'm curious to get your take, Tom, on this, is that the the way that all of this has happened and U.S. soccer has to know that the pulse of the fan base is not behind Greg Berhalter, that this this decision, while it might make sense, feels a little tone deaf to two people that are their own customers. And I, I only say this because like, if we had hired Patrick Vieira or Thierry Henry or Jesse Marsh, it starts on a clean slate. It starts everyone fresh with, with perspective of like, how do we move forward? How do we get the best out of this team? To rehire Greg Berhalter, it feels like a very weird situation where like the coach is already on the hot seat from the fan base and has a lot to do to recover that relationship. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? At some level, I agree. It feels weird. At the On another level, I feel like the anti-Burhalter crowd is a very loud, vocal minority of U.S. fans. Um, you know, it's the, the people who are probably most invested in the U.S. men's national team, the biggest fans of the program. But the U.S. men's national team has a ton of casual fans who, like, barely even recognize that a new manager was hired. Like I was yesterday, I had a, someone come up to me and ask me about the hire and was very curious to know what had gone on. And I had to sort of explain all the drama with Reina and everything. And, you know, they were just sort of like fine with it. Because, Must have been fun for you. Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting conversation. But yeah, the U.S. fan base, I think, is much bigger than the group who is angry at Burhalter, although they are probably the most you know, watch every single game, know the most about the team, which, you know, drives conversation. But the average person who's attending games is not going to, like, be super angry that Burhalter got rehired, I don't think. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, sense. even if... It makes sense. And even yeah. at the Gold Cup last night, like, when... I don't know, when DeAndre Edlin was substituted off or some like, Christian Roldan came on the field, there's mostly clapping. Like, yeah. no one... It's not the stadium isn't filled with people that are like viciously spiteful of all of these players. And like, there's going to be, like you said, some very loud voices who, to their credit, like drive passion, drive conversation. Um, But that's like a hundred people, hundred of the same people in the same bubble. I did the I did the math at some point, and it's like five thousand people. On who are like the hyper online U.S. soccer fans who are on Reddit, who are in on Twitter, in the YouTube comments, who make up most of the discords that are out there. Like that's who the are group. probably watching. Who, who are watching this video right now? Probably who I'm probably <laughs> not making super happy, but yes, that's the group who we're talking about here. Um, who are very unhappy with all this, and even then, that's not a hundred percent. There's it's probably like a seventy-five twenty-five split. Um, where like there's a there's a rational group there too who are not super unhappy and there's a rational you know anger to be had about the hire of Greg Berhalter. There's some who take it too far, but yeah. So I just don't think the USSF has a lot to worry about. It's not like American Outlaws are going to boycott um, U.S. games because of a high rehiring Greg Berhalter. Um, yeah, it's not like fam- families are going to stop taking their kids to games because we brought back Burhalter. And I think those are much more important demographics for U.S. soccer than the people who are online. 
For sure. All right. Are you ready to move to the women's national team and the World Cup next, next Let's uh, do it. month? <laughs> All right. So Vlatko Andonovsky has announced his 23 women roster. We'll start with the goalkeepers. Aubrey Kingsbury from Washington Spirit. Casey Murphy and Alyssa Nair. We knew we were going to be there. Alana Cook, Crystal Dunn, Emily Fox, Naomi Germa, Sophia Huerta, Kelly O'Hara, and Emily Sonnet make up the defensive core. In that midfield, you have Savannah DeMello. Tom, I know you're going to talk about her a little later. Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. And at forward, we have Alex Morgan, of course, Megan Rapino, Trinity Rodman, Sophia Smith, Alyssa Thompson, and Lynn Williams. We have a few players making their fourth Women's World Cup, a lot of players making their debut for their first Women's World Cup. And then you do have someone like Savannah DeMello, who has zero caps for the U.S. in her life. Um, So big surprises on the roster. You have someone like Ashley Hatch, who I will talk about a little later, that did not make the roster at age 28, um, who is absolutely crushing it. Nine goal contributions in 13 matches in the NWSL this season for the Washington Spirit. And she's been a part of the U.S. setup. So, Tom, I want to ask you first, what's your overall impression of this roster, the mix of youth and experience? How does this change your perspective going into the Women's World Cup next month? I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm going to sort of reserve judgment on what we're going to look like at this World Cup till I see the send-off games and see some players like DeMello get a chance to be integrated with this team because there are some players who just barely have ever played for the U.S. before. Um, there's some really fun names on here. Alyssa Thompson is just an electric to watch. I Every time I see a highlight video of her, you know it's going to be just an insane goal that she scored or an insane assist. So glad to see her here. Um, glad to see some veterans back. Julie Ertz being back is huge for this team. Um, hopefully she can ball out because we're going to need that in the midfield against some of these really top European teams. And, you know, there's just a level of like what could have been. Um, that kind of sucks about this roster, too, because I think we have to talk about the injuries. Um, so we don't have Katarina Macario. She's still not recovered from her ACL last year. But we don't have Trinity Rodman. She had a knee injury back in March. We do have out Trinity Rodman. Oh, not Trinity Rodman. Uh, Mouse Malpia. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, who was probably the best winger in the world when she went, went down hurt, which really sucks. Um, Becky Sauerbrunn, probably our most experienced defender, is out yeah. as well. Our captain, so missing... the, the warrior yeah. captain of our team. Yeah. Um, over 200 caps. So you're missing huge names off this, off this roster. Um, and those, that, you know, that completely changes the way we're going to play in this tournament. And it's, it's going to be sort of hard to replace the production that you were going to get from those three players. So yeah. Who steps up? That's sort of the big question. Who's going to step up and fill that spot in the back line. Who's going to step up and, be the person to create goal scoring chances. We can't just pass the ball to Sophia Smith and hope something good happens. Like that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> we might be able to basically, she had a hat trick in <laughs> her send off game for NWSL. Um, the goals were incredible as well, like dribbling yeah. the entire teams um, and getting the shot off. So it might work. It might work to just give the ball to <laughs> Sophia Smith. <laughs> that's the way we played like most of 2022. So, you know, <laughs> It does work occasionally, but, you know, Rose Lavelle to Sophia Smith at some point is not going to generate enough goals to win a World Cup. So, yeah, yeah, who's going to step up into that other winger slot? You know, Morgan's a great striker, but unless Morgan plays every minute of the tournament, we're going to have to have someone deputize as a backup striker. 
who is that person? There's just a lot of questions that I have about this team right now. So, I mean, that front four is like somewhat set. We think we know that Sophia Smith's going to be on that left wing. Alex Morgan will be up top. And then potentially Lynn Williams or Trinity Rodman, depending on what type of game and uh, what kind of style we want to bring to the match. We know Rose Lavelle, if she's healthy, is going to be one of the best attacking midfielders for this team um, and a really flexible number eight if we ask her to. But the defense without Becky Sauerbrunn, like you said, very young uh, in this core. Even Naomi Gurma, who I think is one of our best defenders, is only 23 years old. Um, mm-hmm. It's just come out of college a few years ago and doing really well uh, for her club team and NWSL. But the rest of that back line is, is really young. Uh, I think we'll, we'll do well to trust in Alessa Nair, Nair or Casey Murphy, whoever is in that, that net. They have experience. They have quality. Um, but aside from Naomi Gurma, like, that defense looks a little sketch. Am I wrong? No, it, it definitely does. Um, uh, especially, you know, I, the center back core is a little thin. Um, I guess a lot of cook is probably going to start next to um, Naomi Germa at center back here. But beyond that, yeah, it does not look like we have a lot of really strong defensive options. Either everyone's really young or pretty old. Like, I'm not necessarily looking forward to uh, Kelly O'Hara getting meaningful minutes at the World Cup. I just don't really think that she's got the legs for it anymore. So it'll be a really big question to see where the minutes go on the squad and who, you know, steps up in this tournament. Yeah. And we think we know that Julie Ertz is going to be that more defensive, like battling midfielder. Uh, But the rest of the names in the midfield, maybe aside from Andy Sullivan, are more attacking or more box-to-box eights. Are you worried at all about Julie Ertz's club form, um, which has been poor. Um, I I think what is happening is she's essentially just biding her time so that she can get to the World Cup and hopefully play her heart out. But it doesn't necessarily look like she's bringing her best stuff to the, the field for her NWSL club. Um, so what will happen with that kind of number six spot? What happens if Julie Ertz continues that poor form going into the World Cup? I mean, Andy Sullivan's probably her backup here, but Sullivan has not necessarily inspired a ton of confidence playing as a lone six when I've you know watched her in that role for Black going to Donovsky. Um, I think I almost would like to see a double pivot of DeMello and Horan if Ertz is just not doing it. Um, DeMello's been in crazy form. She's someone we should have tried out a lot earlier. She's been in crazy form for a few years now. So, yeah, I... I think that's our best bet and just sort of let Sanchez slash Lavelle, whoever's playing cook in front of them. But yeah, yeah, it's going to be a little bit nervy because Haran has never inspired a ton of confidence as a lone sixer as a defensive midfielder and neither has uh, Sullivan. So we are betting on Julie Ertz being the best Julie Ertz replacement that is out there in our pool. And this goes back to my frustrations that have built over a long time about not trying out more defensive midfielder options from NWSL to replace Julie Ertz over the last two years that we've had since she got injured. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm going to go back to like, we have tried other sixes. They haven't really panned out. Um, Andy Sullivan, like you said, is maybe the closest to, but um, like Taylor Korniak, yeah. is not on this roster, uh, I, I, which I'm surprised about. Like mm-hmm. the size that she brings, she's 6'1", uh, which in the women's game is like she's beastly on the yeah. pitch. Um, good at tackling. Like she probably wasn't going to be a starter, but if we needed a backup six or needed a, a big player to come in 
maybe like on some set pieces if we really needed a goal to throw her into the box. Um, that was another surprise for me. Yeah, that was a surprise for me as well. I am surprised that this is where the Taylor Cornetic experience or experiment, excuse me, ends because we've been experimenting with her. We played her at a nine. We played her as an eight. We played her as a six. She basically, basically goes the entire spine of the team. We're just sort of throw her on the field and sort of see where she might fit best. And she's, I think it's been very levels of successful. Um, so yeah. it would be nice to have her as a late game, like throw her up top and just let her head balls down option. But I've never was really a fan of her starts in the midfield. So I can see why we might've chosen to go a different direction, yeah. but yeah, it seems like a name you might want to have on this roster. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the, we don't really have a backup straight up nine. I, I would imagine that Sophia Smith or one of the wingers are going to pinch in. Um, but a player that didn't make the squad, Ashley Hatch, for Washington Spirit, she, so Washington Spirit were not supposed to be good this season. And they're one of the best teams in the NWSL. A lot of that is due to Ashley Hatch's pr- uh, progress and production this season. Seven goals and two assists in 13 games. She plays center forward. What, what was the thinking there? Is this just like a balance of the, the squad that Lako Ananovsky is trying to make is this gonna bite him like he's not the most popular i mean we just talked about greg berhalter Vlako andonofsky is not the most popular coach for the women's national team either yeah Vlako, i'm not a big fan of Vlako andonofsky i'm much much more okay with rehiring greg berhalter than i would be with us bringing Vlako <laughs> back after the world cup <laughs> um i've not been a fan of him as manager so far in his u.s tenure um but yeah i think you're bringing what five wingers and one striker um, it's really hard to argue against any of those five wingers being on the team. You know, Megan Rapino has to be there, especially without Sauerbrunn, because she is the veteran leader on this team. Um, she is the old old player you can bring on for, you know, 10 minutes to close out a game who can maybe spark something off the bench. Um, she's not going to start. But, like, Lynn Williams, Alyssa Thompson, Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman are all playing amazing. You almost have to take a midfielder off for a striker or Rapino, and I just don't really see a spot for that backup striker so yeah it's it's um maybe a fullback because we don't really we have a lot of fullbacks in this roster but again you're looking at crystal dunn sofia huerta kelly o'hara emily sonnet you need sonnet as your backup center back huerta is basically your crossing specialist i imagine fox and dunn are going to start and so you're looking at Kelly O'Hara, who, again, is a veteran presence on the team who's been at these World Cups before. So, yeah, you either take a veteran off or you take off a talented winger. And none of those sound like great options to me. So, Tom, take us home on this then. We have 22 of the 23 players that apply their trade in NWSL in the U.S. Lindsay Horan is the one standout that plays for uh, Lyon in France. A lot has been made of the rest of the world catching up to U.S. women's national team. Do we get the three-peat and cement our place as the best club soccer that you can play in the world in the U.S. and NWSL? Or does someone else come and take the throne from us? You know, we have an easier draw than we expect. So I, I, or than other teams might have. So I think we get to the semifinals and then from there all bets are off. I, I wouldn't, totally want, to, I, I wouldn't yeah. want to play us in the semifinals. I'll put it that way. For sure. We we might still be the favorites with all of England's injuries as well. They they have, I mean, talk about us losing our captain and Becky Sarabon. 
for them to be missing Leah Williamson and, and so many others that are veterans of that team. England is, is going to be in a world of trouble without some of those best players. Um, Spain is getting some of their, their best players back, but we haven't seen them in a long time. There is a lot of great storylines coming for this, uh, this Women's World Cup next month. So we will continue to cover these games when they have their send-off matches. We'll talk about those. We'll cover those. And we'll get you closer and more excited to the Women's World Cup. I think that's it for our show today. Tom, has anything else come up as we've been going through this that you want to say? I don't think so. I think that covers everything. Um, you know, we got a lot of matches coming up. We got Gold Cup. We've got um, uh, send off series matches. We're we're gonna be we're gonna be busy watching some awesome soccer here in the next month or so. So let's just see what happens. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Tom, I forgot to mention in the beginning. This is our officially our one hundredth episode. We have made it. It's called Soccer Podcast has made it through FIFA America. It's called Soccer Everything. A hundred episodes. Amazing. That's so fun. Uh, I'm crazy the two, over a two-year ride we've been on. This has been so cool to do. I'm I'm so glad we've gotten a chance to talk a hundred times on this podcast. Uh, thank you for letting me do this, Jake. This is, you know, I look forward to this every single week. Same, same. And it's been a winning one. Uh, two Nations League, one Gold Cup, a knockout from the Netherlands in the World Cup. We'll see what happens at the Women's World Cup this summer, but we, we have uh, started a winning trend, I will say. It's called soccer. A hundred episodes, three trophies for the U.S. men's national team, and many more to come. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, if you've been with us for any of them, make sure to rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That does so much. Uh, that's essentially the biggest thing that you can do for us to expand and reach more people. If you are watching us on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the channel and drop your comments down below. We read every single one. I try to respond to every single one. So thank you so much for getting us to 100. We would not be here without you. And until next week, we'll see you on It's Called Soccer. Peace. See you guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.